Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. So a new series we're starting today and the series is called The Devil Made Me Do It. I've never used that excuse at home. I grew up in the home, you know, my parents were were pastors and if I ever pulled that one out, I'm sure it wouldn't go very far, it wouldn't go very well for me. But how many times have you done something and gone, oh my goodness, why did I do that? That's not in my normal character, that's not who I am. And we quite often, you know, we blame the devil for different things. And, you know, there are two schools of thought when it comes to talking about the devil. The first school of thought is that we don't want to acknowledge him. He's defeated. We don't talk about him. We don't acknowledge his presence. We don't ever even think about the fact that there is a spirit of darkness. And then the other school of thought is that, uh, you know, the devil is under every rock, everything that goes wrong. My car ran out of petrol today. And so the devil's obviously in my car. Not that you didn't fill up with petrol. You know, uh, I failed my math test. So obviously, you know, the devil's been attacking me. You know, the devil is under every rock. Here a devil, there a devil, everywhere a devil. There's two schools of thought. And here at you know, Victory Church, we want to talk about what we're for and not what we're against. We want to talk about all of the good things of God and the greatness of God. But at the same time, we need to understand the schemes of the devil. 2 Corinthians 2 verse 11 says that we need to be aware of the devil's evil schemes. And this series will look at what the Bible actually tells us about the devil and how we can be aware of his schemes. You see, the greatest trick that the devil pulls is to convince us that he doesn't exist. You see, we may believe in God, we may believe in angels, we may believe in heaven, but we sometimes choose not to believe in the power of darkness. But the reality is, The devil is real. You know, we may think of him as having, you know, being big and red and ugly with those red horns, kind of like me in the morning before I've had my coffee. He's got the tail and a pitchfork. You know, we have these images of the devil and who he is and and what we perceive him to be. But today and over the next three weeks, we're going to look at what the Bible actually tells us about the devil. So just a bit of backstory from what we know about the devil from reading through the Bible. And I've done a lot of research before you know, presenting this message. And there's a lot of great material. Craig Rochelle does a great series on this. Warren wearsby has got a great book on this as well, if you want to do your own reading in your own time. And we're not here today to give a great theological expansion and expository on who the devil is. But we need to have a basic understanding of who our enemies You know, who knows that if you're going to fight in a war and you're over there in the trenches and you need to know who your enemy is and what his tactics are so that you can fight back. Am I right? You see, before we create, God created the earth, He created angels. And He created three angels in particular that were the ark, what they call archangels. So we have Michael. Michael is an archangel and he's mentioned in the Bible several times. We have Gabriel. Gabriel is an archangel and he's the one that brought the message to Mary on behalf of God to tell her about, you know, that you're going to have a son. And then we have Lucifer. So God created 
Lucifer. And the Bible in the book of Ezekiel 28 says, you were the seal of perfection. So Lucifer was the most perfect angel that God had created. He was full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Ezekiel 28 goes on to say, your heart became proud on account of your beauty and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendour. So I threw you down to earth. See, Lucifer was one of the archangels and he was in charge of worship in heaven. And he was the archangel that led all the angels in worship of God, the great God, the King of heaven and earth. God, Lucifer was that worship leader, much like Morgan was this morning. But <laughs> Morgan is not the devil. I know what you're thinking. That's not what I was getting at. I love you, Morgan. Sorry. And then Lucifer ends up getting these thoughts in his head saying, why are we worshipping God? You know, I am beautiful. I am perfect. I am full of wisdom. I think that they should be worshipping me. So Lucifer goes to rebellion and leads his angels in rebellion. And there's this mighty battle in the heavens. This mighty battle, the, the forces of light and Michael and Gabriel and all of the angels coming up against Lucifer and his angels. And the good news is that God won. And then when God won, he banished Lucifer to the earth. And when Lucifer came to the earth, that's where we now know him as the devil or Satan. And the angels that he took with him that were also in rebellion became known as demons. So a quick backstory on who the devil is. So Lucifer has been thrown down to earth and he's just hanging around on earth with his angels, with his demons. And then God creates the sky. God speaks and creates the dry land. God speaks and creates the stars, the sun, the moon, all life in the water and all life on the, on the land. God starts forming the earth and he forms every single thing. And Lucifer all this time is sitting back and watching. The one thing that Lucifer wanted to be was to be like God. And then on the sixth day, God creates humans. Genesis 1 verse 26 and 27, it says, Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, all the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God's trying to get a point across here. He created us and we are created in his image. And we are created male and female in his image. Side note, if you're someone that maybe diminishes the role of women in your life, women just like men, are created in the image of God. You see, the devil wanted to be like God and he rebelled and as his sentence, God sends him to earth. 
And then part of his sentence is that he ends up being surrounded by billions and billions and billions through millennia and millennia of humans that are created in the image and the likeness of God. You see, the devil wasn't put on earth to torment us. We were put on earth to torment the devil. We weren't put here. The devil wasn't here to torment you, to make your life a misery, but you were put here to make the devil's life a misery. This hatred of God and of us rages on today. This battle between darkness and light, between lies and truth, this battle that started in the heavens millennia and millennia and millennia ago carries on today. The devil still comes to steal, to kill and destroy. But God comes to bring life and life to the full. Let's give Him a hand this morning. We worship the God of life. Not just life, boring, ordinary life, but life to the full. Ephesians 6 verse 12 says, For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. You know, we may get pulled over by the police and we think that the, that the fight is against the police who unjustly gave me a ticket. We may think that the fight is against the man and against the system and against Western democracy, civilization. We may think that the fight is against communism or whatever structure of political authority that's around. But the reality is the fight isn't against the flesh and blood. The fight is against the powers of darkness, the evil spirits in the heavenly places. And whether we realise it or not, whether we choose to believe it or not, that battle rages on today and it rages on in your family. That battle is raging for your children. The devil is fighting for your children. The devil is fighting for your marriage. The devil, young people, is fighting for your future. The devil is fighting for your joy and fighting for your happiness. And he wants to rob, he wants to steal, he wants to kill, and he wants to destroy. C.S. Lewis says, There is no neutral ground in the universe. Every square inch, every split second is claimed by God and counterclaimed by Satan. And this series is all about us gaining understanding of our enemy and the way that he operates so that we know how to fight back when he comes to rob, kill, steal and destroy. You see, one of the great weapons that the devil has is that he is the father of lies. He is the father of deception. John 8, says, He was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it's consistent with his character because he is a liar. He doesn't just lie, he is a liar. And not only that, he is the father of lies. The devil is the deceiver who attacks your mind with lies. He lies to us and tries to take away God's truth. And how do you know when the devil is lying? When his lips are moving. Every single word that comes out of the devil's mouth is a lie. You see, that first deception, the first time we see the devil in operation, 
We see it in the Garden of Eden. We see it in Genesis chapter 3, where we see the serpent, who is the devil in physical form at that moment, attack the authority of God's Word with lies. And Genesis 3, chapter 1, starts by saying, The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, Did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it and you must not even touch it, for if you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent said. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious. It probably wasn't a fig then. It probably was more of a pink lady apple if we're talking about delicious fruit. And she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were open and suddenly they felt shame and nakedness. You see, this is a really famous passage of Scripture and one that most people know, at least the story of the Garden of Eden. If you haven't read it for yourself, you would know that the serpent came, he deceives Eve. And then as a result of that is where sin enters the human race. You see, the devil came in the form of a serpent and he deceived Eve by saying, if you eat of that tree, you will become like God. You see, the thing is, we read in Genesis chapter 1 that humans were created in the image and likeness of God already. That Eve was already created in the likeness of God. She didn't need to eat anything. She didn't need to do anything. She didn't need to change in any way. She was already created and loved like she is. She was already created in the image of God. You know, the other thing that we notice as we're reading is that the serpent was a created being and he was one of the wild animals that Eve actually had dominion over. You see, Eve should have been talking to the serpent and telling the serpent what to do, not the other way around. The Eve was meant to be taking dominion over the serpent. You see, God was very specific, very clear. You can eat of anything. You can do anything in this garden. You can eat of any tree, of any fruit, but there is one tree. One tree I don't want you to eat of. And just to make it clear, I'm going to put it right smack bang in the middle of the garden. He put this tree in the middle of the garden and he said, see this tree? Don't eat it. Any other tree? Go wild. Go nuts. Eat your nuts. They're good for you. Good source of vitamins. The devil, the, the, God is very clear about what tree they can't and what tree they can eat from. You know, have you ever been put in a room where they say this button? Have you ever walked into a room and there's a, there's a switch and it says, do not touch? And you automatically start thinking, what's going to happen if I press that button? If you switch it on and off, will the roof fall in? You know, my dad used to tell me that if you undo your belly button, your legs fall off. I'm still yet to find out if that's true. But you look at that button and all of a sudden we start questioning, what does that switch do? What if I turn it off and on really quickly? Will anyone notice? You know, will the building fall apart? 
Will my legs fall off? You know, do, do they mean actually that button? Does he mean that particular button right there? You know, why do they want us not to touch that button? Do they want it all to themselves? Do they want to be the ones that press it? You want to keep it all to yourself. You see, as soon as God becomes clear and God's truth and God's word brings clarity, the devil will come in and he'll bring uh, disinformation. He'll bring lies. He'll bring deceit so that the word of God all of a sudden becomes cloudy. It becomes unclear. You see, where God's word brings clarity, the devil will try and bring confusion. And he brings confusion by attacking God's word, by questioning God's word. You see, I remember in year seven, I had this uh, teacher and his name was Mr. McGowan. And I don't know if Sejuna was a little bit slower to pick up on some of the things that are taken for granted here, but Mr. McGowan had this thing called a beach bat. And uh, he would use it, if you're uh, being naughty, to paddle you on the backside. So I don't know what happened in the 90s in Sejuna, but apparently this was legal. Um, he wrote an... <laughs> He wrote a note home to all the parents and all the parents gladly. My, my dad, you know, said, look at this form. I'm, he was so excited to sign it. <laughs> and it was very clear. And I, and, and I was, year five and six, I was actually a bit of a rat, if you can believe it. I'm sure you don't believe it, but I was a bit of a rat. But when I got to year seven, I was an angel. Oh, my goodness. I was so good. That fear of the beach bat put the fear of God in me. And I did nothing wrong until... We had this sleepover at school about halfway through the year and uh, Mr McGowan was sleeping in one room and then the boys in another room and the girls in another room and uh, the lights had gone out. We'd had a fun night. The lights had gone out. I was in my sleeping bag and someone yelled out, Oi, Phil! And they threw a lolly and hit me in the head. So at that age, I hated minties, right? You've got to understand, I didn't like minties. I didn't like the way they tasted. I know, I was a bit of a weird kid. But I absolutely loved... Fantails. It's actually swapped around now. Isn't it amazing how things change? Uh, oh, fantails get stuck in your teeth. And Anyway, so it's 9.30 at night. Mr McGowan had been very specific with his word and said, lights out, go to sleep. And so this lolly gets thrown at me. It hits me in the head and I'm all up for a lolly. But um, there's this thing going through in my head. What if it's a fantail? What if it's a minty? I hope it's not a minty. And I, I can't see because it's pitch black. And I don't want to risk it. You know what it's like when you're thinking it's one thing and you put it in your mouth and you're like, oh, what the heck is that? So I had my torch and I went under in my sleeping bag a little bit and I thought, I know what he said, but he probably doesn't mean it if I can just flick it on and off. I'm sure he'll be fine with that. So I got under my sleeping bag a little bit and I flicked it on and off and I saw it was a phantom. I was like, praise you, Jesus. And I, that's exactly the language I would have used as a 12-year-old as well. I put that fantail in my mouth. And I was chewing away, chewing away. And then I hear Mr. McGowan's voice, who was that? <laughs> and my voice went, oh, me. <laughs> Twelve-year-old Phil, my voice wasn't in great shape already and my knees were knocking. And he said, come here. And so I walked over to Mr. McGowan. And I think he could tell that I was, you know, uh, my knees were knocking. I was shaking in my boots. I was, I was really upset. And uh, he said, touch your toes, which is the normal, you know, Mr. McGowan would say that when you're about to get whacked with the beach bat. So I touched my toes and Mr. McGowan followed through, whack. 
He didn't actually hit me that hard. But you know what it's like when you've got children. You don't actually have to you know, smack your children hard. It's just a little tap, but it's the fear that puts in them sometimes. And I got, a little bit, I got really upset and I went straight back to bed, closed my eyes and just went straight to sleep. But the thing that I did wrong was questioning God's word. <laughs> Mr. McGowan isn't God. Questioned Mr. McGowan's word and doubted that he would follow through on what he said he would do. You know, the biggest thing that uh, the devil did to Eve was to question God's word. You see, the devil didn't question Adam's word. He didn't question anyone else, but he questioned God's word. And in chapter 3, verse 1, he says, Did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? You see, the deceiver is sneaky. He is so sneaky. He doesn't come to you with a big deception And it's not often that you'll wake up in the morning and decide I'm going to be an atheist today. It's not often that you'll wake up in the morning and go, I think that my marriage might fall apart today. It's not often that you wake up in the morning thinking I'm going to drop out of school today. But it's a lot of little deceptions that happen over a period of time. The devil questions things and questions things and questions things over a period of time. And each time he questions it, you're taking a small step And soon enough, with enough small steps, you'll be in a place you never dreamed you would be. You see, I bump into friends that I did Bible college with, uh, you know, 12 or 13 years ago. And I'll bump into them at Tea Tree Plaza. And as we're chatting, you know, I'll find out that they're no longer in church. They're no longer actually even believe in God anymore. And these are people that 12 or 13 years ago were full on passionate, on fire for God Christians who would have never dreamt that they would be away from church and away from God. But it takes step by step. Does God really need you to go to church every Sunday? God's with you everywhere, isn't He? He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. You know, God doesn't actually say anywhere that you should be at church every week. You know, and as you're taking these questions coming in your mind and you're taking a little step and a little step, and then all of a sudden you realise that you're in a place that you never dreamed you would be. All of a sudden you're so far from the centre that you don't even know where you are and it's hard to recognise yourself. You see, when it comes to you know, your marriage, it's not often that you wake up in the morning and go, oh, all right, time for an affair today. <laughs> but it's a lot of little questions, a lot of little deceptions. You won't mind if I watch this one time. It doesn't matter if I go out for a drink with this girl one time. I can talk to her. I can't talk to my wife in the same way that I talk to her. And then all of a sudden, lots of little, little steps. And all of a sudden, here you are so far from where God has called you to be. I don't ever go to leave school and think I'm going to wake up and, and not finish school. But over time, you start taking different steps. I'll go to that party instead of studying. It doesn't matter if I take this only once doesn't matter if I have this pill, it's just once. All of a sudden you're taking enough steps and you look back and you see where you should be and you're nowhere near it. You see, I might be talking in extremes, but when you work in the job that we work in, we see people day in, day out and they find themselves in places that they never thought they would be and you can trace it back to a series of small decisions based on a series of questions and all of a sudden you can trace it back to where they should be. You see, there aren't many people that say, wake up in the morning and have that big deception in their head, that big question in their head. But sometimes it's just a bunch of little questions, little decisions over time. The devil says to Eve, did God 
really say you must not eat from any of the trees in the garden. You see, God's word brings clarity. God's word brings specificity. Oh, say that three times fast. Specifics. But the devil will try and bring confusion. And he brings confusion by attacking God's word. He questions God's word. And he also twists God's word. How many people know, if you're a parent here, that children have a fantastic way of being able to twist a parent's word? You know, I can hear the conversation happening in the bedroom when Isla goes to Sarah and says, can I have a biscuit? I can hear Sarah saying, yes, you can have one biscuit. But then by the time she gets to the kitchen where I am, Isla says, mum said we could have three biscuits and a hot chocolate. (laughs) (laughs) What? Children forget that we're um, able to hear. (laughs) We're smarter than we look. Uh, Well, Sarah is. (laughs) It's so easy for things to get twisted and that, uh, that, uh, that Chinese whispers that happens. And what happened for Eve is that she was already created in the image of God. But when God spoke to Adam about the tree, God spoke to Adam and she didn't hear it specifically from the devil. She heard a second-hand account. She didn't have her own revelation to work back on. It's like Chinese whispers. If you're not in your devotions every day, if you're not uh, reading your Bible every day, if you're not in the Word of God, hearing the Word of God, then all of a sudden you're hearing second and third hand revelation. If you're only in the Word of God on a Sunday morning at 10 and 6, then I, I, I would encourage you, please make it an effort to get your own revelation from God. You see, God speaks to us. Uh, God speaks to us, but the devil speaks to us as well. And the devil speaks to us through different mediums. I don't know about you, but I've never had a snake come up and talk to me. I've never, you know, I'm actually petrified of snakes. And I run a mile as soon as I see a snake. But the devil doesn't come to us in the form of a serpent. The devil sometimes comes to us in the form of the music that we listen to. What are the lyrics that we're letting soak into our spirit? The devil comes to us maybe in the form of the TV shows that we're watching. What are the TV shows that we're watching? What are the the things that are being said into our life? The music that we listen to, the the Facebook that we're on every single day and allowing people to speak into our life who we probably don't even know. We need to get a first-hand revelation of God, otherwise the word gets twisted. By twisting God's word, the devil twists our perception of his goodness and and his love towards him. Maybe God doesn't have our best interests at heart. Maybe can't, God can't or won't help me in this situation. You see, the devil has a way of getting into our heads and if we're looking at Instagram and Facebook and the first thing that we wake up as or checking our emails or maybe getting up and listening to whatever CD, then all of a sudden what are we letting get into our mind affects the rest of our day. And we have a way of waking up in the morning and we're already defeated before we even get up. No one likes me. No one loves me. I'll never find love. I'll be alone the rest of my life. I have no future. I have no hope. No one takes an interest in me. We're already defeated before the day even starts. You see, if we can start our day with a daily devotion, then we're already off to a great start. If we can speak the Word of God over our lives, we're already off 
to a great start. If we can listen and, and watch the music that we're listening to and be careful about what's going into our spirit, we're already off to a great start because the devil will take something beautiful and he'll turn it into something ugly. He attacks your mind and he twists God's word and he twists God's truth. Where God says that you are loved, the devil will tell you no one likes you. Where God says, I have a plan and a future for you, the devil tells you there is no hope, that you're alone, that no one likes you, that your friends don't want you. Despite the fact that God's word says that you are loved and you're accepted, that you are chosen beyond recognition, God loves you. Where God's word brings clarity, the devil will try and bring confusion. And he brings confusion by attacking God's word by questioning God's word, by twisting God's word. But the good news is, the great news is, that the deceiver is defeated by God's word. Ephesians 6 verse 13 says, Therefore, put on every piece of God's armour so that you'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you'll be still standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth. The, the body armour of God's righteousness, the shoes of peace, so that you'll be fully prepared. In addition to all these, hold up your shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Hebrews 4 verse 12 says, The Word of God is alive and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. You know, the context that they're writing to is that, that, uh, that Roman empire, that Roman era 2,000 years ago. And the Romans used two types of swords. The first sword they had was that big one that took two, uh, two hands and they would swing it around and no one would come near them. And the second sword was a, was a bit of a shorter one that you hold with one hand and it was a two-edged sword and it was for close quarters combat. And that's what the Word of God is for us. The Word of God is that two-edged sword. You see, when that shield of faith gets knocked down and you wake up in the morning and I have no faith, when those shoes of peace get knocked off and I don't have any peace, you still have your sword of truth. You still have the Word of God that you can still attack with. Every other thing mentioned in that passage of Scripture is a defensive weapon. But the Word of God is your offensive weapon. It's the weapon that you use to cut down the enemy. When He comes at you with lies, when He comes at you and removes your peace, when He comes at you and tries to attack your family, the Word of God, the two-edged sword, is the one that you use to attack the enemy. And if the band could come, that would be great. It's so important for us to know the Word of God. To effectively battle and use the Word as a weapon, you need to know the Word of God. You see, I remember in my previous role, one of the people that I was managing at the time, we went through a process and, and uh, he had done some things, this guy, and we had to end up terminating this young man. We terminated him from his role. <laughs> Not, you know... Let's be clear. He got fired. I became Donald Trump for a moment and said, you're fired. We had to end up firing this guy. And it was messy. It was yuck. And if anyone's been through that process from either end, then you'll know that it's a gross situation for anyone to have to go through. 
A couple of months later, this guy comes back to the company I was working for and he says that I treated him unjustly, that I treated him unfairly and he's looking for some recompense. And so if you've been through this situation, you know, there's an arbitration that you have to go through. And at this arbitration, I was able to bring out what I had. And I had notes. I had loads of notes dated with uh, what he said, what I said. I had the documents that I'd filled in on the day, previous to the day. I had email trails of what I said and what he said. The words that were written down were able to prove my innocence. And it was because I knew that I had those and I knew those words, I knew that I was right. Those words were able to justify my position. And it's just like us and the Word of God. When, when the devil, when the deceiver comes to torment you, knowing the Word of God is just so important. Psalm 119 verse 11 says, I have hidden your Word in my heart that I might not sin against you. What's the last thing you do before you go to bed? What's the first thing you do in the morning? It's so important to be in the Word daily. I can't get this across to you uh, with enough passion. You need to be in the Word of God, getting a first-hand revelation. Eve was deceived and part of the reason was because she had a second-hand revelation. Be in church regularly. Hearing the Word of God is just so important. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Surround yourself with positive people. You know, when you've got a problem and you've got a situation, do you go to Facebook and let all the, all the negative voices in your life speak over you? Or do you go to someone who will speak God's truth, who will speak godly words into your situation, who will be able to speak life and not death over that? Post God's Word throughout your house. Put it on post-it notes, get posters, put it everywhere so that you can get a first-hand revelation of God's message to you. And then we need to speak the Word of God. You see, in Matthew chapter 4, we read about Jesus being tempted in the desert. And the Satan came to Jesus just like he did when he came to Eve in the garden. He came to Jesus in the desert. And Satan says to Jesus, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus says, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Satan goes on to say, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command His angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that they will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus replies, It is written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Satan goes on to say, All this I will give you if you'll only bow down and worship me. And Jesus says, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. When we know the Word of God, what He says, we can identify the attack of the devil and we can counter it. When we're having relational trouble, we know that love is patient, that love is kind. When we've messed up and you're feeling the guilt and that weight of sin around you, around you, we can know that there is therefore no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. When you're confused and you don't know what to do, then we know that, that we can trust the Lord with all our heart, with all our soul and with all our strength and lean on our own understanding. When fear or anxiety for the future creeps in, we know that we can be strong and courageous or terrified for the Lord our God is with us wherever He goes. We need to speak it out. 
We need to say it out loud. You know, one of the things I do when I pray is I like to pray out loud. Because when you pray out loud, you're focusing your thoughts and you're channeling them into one uh, thought stream. Who knows that when you try and pray in your head or even think in your head, there's quite often 15 different things going on. You know, in one moment you'll be thinking and praying about God. The next moment you'll be thinking about whether you need to have a coffee. The next moment you'll be thinking about, did I leave the oven on? What are the kids doing? You know, when, you think, when you're praying in your head, it's so easy to get distracted. But when we speak it out loud, we can focus our thoughts. It forces us to channel our thoughts. We digest so much more when we speak it out loud. Romans 10, 17 says, Faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God. One of the great things I love to do is worship. Worship ushers in the presence of God into our lives. And even when these guys started playing behind me, I could feel the presence of God enter into this room. You know, as we're singing and we're singing songs like, Not Today, Satan. When we're singing God songs like Reckless Love or Who I Am and the songs that we sing in this church, then it's important for us to speak those over our lives. When I feel turmoil in my heart, when I feel like the peace is gone from my body, I put on worship and instantly the presence of God comes in and I speak it over my life. I speak the love of God over my life. I speak God into my circumstances. It doesn't matter that I don't feel that way. It doesn't matter that I don't have peace. I speak peace into my heart. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au. 